Hey, Salt Rock Church, how we doing? Man, you look good. It's been a while. Missed you. We've, uh, we've had an opportunity to travel some, be on vacation, and uh, really, really enjoyed that time away. But, um, you know, the, the flip side of that is we miss you guys because you're like family. And so um, thank you for giving us some time off. Uh, a couple of you have asked about our time off, what we did. We went to Colorado, uh, did about a week of baseball, and then we did some backpacking, hiking, camping. Uh, we, we saw five bears. Uh, we were in a thunderstorm and, uh, and a rock slide. So it was like my kind of vacation. Had a great time, very relaxing, enjoyed every minute of it. But it's so good to be back with you guys uh, here this morning and excited. So, And just want to say this, if you're visiting, especially honored to have you. Uh, if you're online or you're here in person, um, I'd love to get to meet you if I haven't done so yet. Uh, just welcome you to Solid Rock Church. If you're looking for a church home, I invite you to consider making this your church home. Uh, if you're looking for the perfect church and you think you've found it, um, you're mistaken. So uh, we probably won't see you back next week. It's okay. Um, this is not a perfect place. Um, we are an imperfect people who gather together uh, weekly uh, to pursue and to worship a perfect God who is transforming us into his likeness. And so if that's what you're looking for, we invite you to become part of Solid Rock family. Stop by our Welcome Center on the way out. Uh, meet one of our pastors or elders. We'll tell you more about the church. Uh, but overall, just welcome you to, uh, to this morning. A couple things I want to say about the last month. So I've, I've not preached the last four Sundays. And so it's really been an opportunity for us to live out some things that we, we consider to be important here as a church. One of those being um, we, we don't desire to become a church built on personalities. Uh, built around the personality of a pastor or a music leader or a kid's pastor. Um, but we really see this as the body of Christ, each of us gifted differently, each of us serving in those strengths and gifts as God calls in a way um, that, that grows and edifies the church. And so me being out, you've had the opportunity to listen to uh, some fantastic preachers. Jeremy, um, our student pastor, Blake, our kid's pastor, preached the last four Sundays, did a fantastic job. And so you got to experience that. The second thing you got to experience that's really important to us is that while we get up on stage and we have things to say, we believe that, that the one who has the most important thing to say is God himself. And so how do we position ourselves and how do we hand the microphone over to God week after week? One of the ways we do that is we preach through his word verse by verse. It keeps us from pushing our own agendas and it keeps us from skipping over those really hard uh, passages of scripture as we go through each verse we give the microphone to God every week so somebody asked me this morning hey welcome back I hope you have an exciting word for us this morning I said I do the good news is it was it was written by John over 2,000 years ago it's in John chapter 16 so that's the most powerful thing I could say to you this morning is to actually read God's word and we're going to be in John chapter 16 this morning just continuing in our in our sermon series through the gospel and so what's happened over the last three chapters in the gospel of John is that we're seeing that the cross is is near the intensity of persecution the intensity of those who want to arrest and put Jesus to death is is increasing and now he's beginning to prepare his disciples uh, to die for his death uh, his burial his resurrection and even his ascension where he ascends back to the right hand of the father he's preparing them for his departure now what's going to happen here in the end of chapter 15, which is what Jeremy preached about three weeks ago, all the way into the rest of 16, Jesus is going to give some specific things that the disciples are going to have to walk through. The first of which is being hatred of the world. Jeremy covered this three weeks ago. 
what to do with tribulation, what to do with persecution, what to do when the world hates you. And then after that, uh, Blake talked about the idea of Jesus departing was, was the beginning of the Holy Spirit coming to comfort and to counsel us. And that while there was sadness and loneliness in, in feeling Jesus' departure, uh, there was comfort in knowing that the Holy Spirit was, is, is coming. And then last week, Jeremy got, came back and talked about sorrows and what to do with our sorrows and how God doesn't just replace sorrows with joy. He actually works in the thing that makes us sorrowful to bring joy out of that. And so we've, we've learned, Jesus has told his disciples, guys, here's what you're up against. You're going to be afraid. You're going to experience fear through persecution. You're going to be lonely at my departure. Not only that, you're going to experience immense sorrow. And today what Jesus is going to do is he's going to say, guys, also you're going to need to know what to do with your failures. And so he's going to lay it out for them what to do with their failures. Starting in verse uh, 25, we read, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. So here Jesus is saying, guys, get ready. A major transition is about to take place. Something's about to change. Now, it's not just the way I talk to you, but you're going to notice a difference in the way I talk to you. In the past, right, Jesus is saying, I spoke to you in figures of speech. I used parables and illustrations and told you stories to teach you truth. But now we're at a place in my journey where I'm going to start speaking to you plainly. And here's why. There's a major transition that is about to take place. So we think about all that Jesus is saying here. First of all, he says what? In that day. So when Jesus says those words, in that day, he's speaking about a future era. Now, we have hindsight, so we know major transition is about to take place. They're about to arrest Jesus within a few hours of him saying this. Not only are they going to arrest him, they're going to put him on trial, they're going to convict him, they're going to beat him, they're going to put him to death, he's going to be buried, he's going to resurrect, and then several days later he's going to begin to appear to different disciples then he's going to ascend back to the father holy spirit's going to come at pentecost boom the church is launched so some major things are about to take place but to understand the fullness of the era to come what's going to happen in that day we have to understand first of all what's going on in the current era what are these guys experiencing that's going to be different in the future and so the idea here of something is about to change begins all the way back in Genesis 3. You see, the current era of the disciples is an era where God's very presence was veiled from his people, starting in Genesis chapter 3. At the moment that Adam and Eve disobeyed God, sin fractured their relationship with each other and severed their relationship with God himself. And so from that point forward, sinful man, sinful woman, was not allowed to, to enter into the presence of a holy God. We see this manifested in a lot of different ways through an angel of the Lord. You notice how many times in the Old Testament an angel of the Lord comes to speak on behalf of God? You're looking at uh, Abraham, 
with Isaac up on the mountain. He's about to sacrifice Isaac in Genesis 22. And there's an intervention there. Right before he puts the knife to Isaac, an angel of the Lord appears and says, Abram, don't do that. Hold the knife. There's a ram over here. Kill the ram instead. And it's an angel of the Lord who speaks on behalf of God as a mediator to Abram. You see the same thing with Moses in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. See, we, we, we recount that story. And we think, oh, well, God was speaking. God was there with um, Moses at the burning bush. No, it was the angel of the Lord who spoke as a mediator between God and Moses. And then we see God using man as a mediator. Moses becomes a mediator to the people. The priest becomes a mediator for the people. And so from Genesis 3, going forward, there was a need for a mediator to stand between God and his people. And so Jesus just laid out something really significant. And if you don't slow down and read it carefully, you might miss it. But here's what he says. In that day, you will ask in my name, so far so good, and I do not say to you, you will ask the, I will ask the Father on your behalf. Such a simple phrase. But here's what Jesus is saying. Guys, in the new era, you will no longer need a mediator. You will no longer need to come to me, and then I'll go to God and tell him what you asked for. Now, you'll ask in my name, but you won't ask me to ask for you. You actually will have access to the Father. This is a big deal. I mean, all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, this has never happened. For sinful man to enter into the presence, the throne room of God, and to make any request, that human being would be struck down because of their sinfulness. And so Jesus is saying, guys, listen, here's what's to come. You will no longer need me to ask the Father on your behalf. A new era is coming. If you back up a few more verses into verse 23, he says, this, says it this way, In that day you will ask nothing of me. This is Jesus saying to you, his follower, In that day, that future era, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of whom? The Father in my name he will give to you. Now, I don't want to get too far into the weeds of semantics on how we're supposed to pray and who we're supposed to pray to. I don't think Jesus is saying, guys, it's wrong to pray to me. It's wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit. Only pray to the Father. But I think what Jesus is explaining is this access we're now going to have. We no longer need a mediator. So what will the role of Jesus be in the new era? We no longer need him to go to God and speak on our behalf. So what will his role be? In the new era. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is what? Interceding for us. So the imagery is God's throne room, the Father on his throne, Jesus at his right hand. You approach the throne room. God looks to Christ and says, should I listen to this one? Should I allow this one in? And Jesus says what? Yes, let him speak. Let her enter. He intercedes for us. I've covered that one with my blood. He has been forgiven. She has been made holy and righteous. Let her enter in. 
But not only is he interceding in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Who is our advocate? Jesus Christ the righteous. So he's advocating for you. He's still involved in your relationship with God. Sitting at the right hand of the Father, advocating for you. But you no longer, no longer need to speak through Jesus. You can speak to God yourself as he sits as a mediator and an advocate. This is a big deal. What Jesus is getting at here is this privilege and this power that, that we have access to. So I don't know if you're familiar with Isaiah 6. In the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is invited into the throne room of God. And the imagery of that experience is so vivid and so overwhelming, he struggles to find words to describe it. In the midst of it all, Isaiah is humbled, and he recognizes his sinfulness and how he does not deserve to be there. Then one of the angelic beings hovers over to this this bowl of coals and brings it to Isaiah and touches his lips, symbolizing the need to be clean in order to be standing in this throne room experience with God. This is what you have been invited into. The very throne room of God. And Jesus is saying, you'll no longer come to the door, knock and speak through the door, and ask me to tell God things for you. The door will be open to you, and you'll be able to step into this throne room and speak to God yourself. In that day. So in the Old Testament worship scene, whether you're in the tabernacle or the the temple, which replaced the tabernacle, the the tabernacle was just the temporary version of the the temple, the experience would have been the same for a worshiper of God. It was set up in a way where you had an outer court, then then you moved into the building, the first room you came into was the holy place, and then beyond that was the holy of holies. And so when the people of God would come as worshipers, they would be allowed into the outer courts, and there would be a, a blood sacrifice that would be made on their behalf to cleanse them of their sins so that they could enter into the holy place. Now, in the holy place, you had candles, you had this bread that was known as the bread of the presence, and then you had this bowl of incense, all symbolizing really important things. As we look back through the lens of the cross, we see how Jesus, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and we understand in, in, in the book of Revelation that there will be no need for a son in eternity because the glory of Jesus will be bright enough. That's the idea of this holy place. Jesus is, in fact, the light of the world. Not only that, he is the bread of life. The bread was there. And then you had this bowl of incense representing the prayers of the saints in this holy place. But there was another curtain, this, this curtain, this veil that kept the average everyday worshiper from actually entering to the holy of holies where God's very presence was and only the priest the mediator could enter into that place and only once a year through the through through a, through a very um, strict set of rituals and practices with a rope tied around his leg in case he got struck down so the people could drag him out with having to, without having to enter in themselves this veil hid the presence of God and his glory from sinful man And so for the Old Testament worshipers, they came, they went through the practices, the rituals year after year, and they got so close to the presence of God, yet missed it. I mean, they knew it was right on the other side of that veil, and they couldn't get there. 
A.W. Tozer, um, author, pastor, in his writing, The Pursuit of God, describes the Old Testament worship this way, and then he talks about the new era of worship through the death and resurrection. Listen to these words. He wrote, Though the worshiper had enjoyed so much, the outer courts, the holy place, still he had not yet entered the presence of God. Another veil separated the holy of holies, where above the mercy seat dwelt the very God himself in awful and glorious manifestation. And while the tabernacle stood, only the high priest could enter there, and that but once a year, with the blood which he offered for his sins and the sins of the people. It was this last veil which was rent or torn or ripped when our Lord gave up the ghost on Calvary. And the sacred writer explains that this rending or this ripping of the veil opened the way for every worshiper in the world to come by the new and living way straight into the divine presence. Listen to this. From this moment forward, ransomed men need no longer pause and fear to enter the holy of holies. God wills that we should push on into his presence and live our whole life there. In that day, this is what Jesus is talking about. There will come a day when the veil is ripped and the presence of God will be available to all worshipers. And if any man tries to get in your way, to get out of the way. Even Jesus himself is saying, you won't need me to speak on your behalf. I'll have my place at the right hand of God interceding for you, advocating for you, but you get to go directly to God now. And this is what Jesus is saying. Guys, listen. You're going to experience hatred in the world. You're going to experience loneliness. You're going to feel abandoned. You're going to have sorrows, tribulations. And then in a minute, he's going to talk about their coming failures. But none of these things will limit you from access to the throne room of God in that day. It's interesting, we think about how John describes Jesus in chapter 1. If you remember, John introduces us to Jesus and calls him the Word. But, and in verse 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You may have heard this before, but in the Greek language, that word dwelt is the idea of, of like setting up a tabernacle. And the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. It's the presence of God in Christ dwelling with us. Listen to this. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. Through him, we also, we have also obtained access. Access by what and to what? By, here's, here's how you've obtained access, by faith. That, that gets you something in God's kingdom. It gains you access to something. Something, what is the something? Into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of what? The glory of God. By faith, you gain access, right, through grace into what? The glory of God. 
Don't try to come on your own merit or your own strength. You won't make it in. You'll be disqualified. You can't make it in. You can't do enough church to get into the glory of God. You can't give enough money. You can't sacrifice enough for orphans. You can't do enough good deeds to get into heaven. You have to come through what? Through grace. Washed over by the forgiveness and the goodness of Christ. By faith, through grace, into what? The glory of God. That which was withheld from the people of God in the Old Testament. That which was withheld from Adam and Eve after their disobedience. You now have access to the glory of God. Listen to the author of Hebrews describe your access. Hebrews 4.16. 4, 4, uh, Let us then with confidence draw near to what? The throne of grace. The same throne of grace that, I, that Isaiah was invited into. The same throne of grace described in Revelation chapter 4. You now have been invited in to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let us then with what? Confidence. That's a really important word. Not arrogance. Arrogance would be you and me figuring out how to get into heaven in our own strength. We would get there, we'd turn around, look at everybody that didn't make it, and go, oh, stinks to be you. Should have done what we've done. But no, that's not how we enter in. We enter in through grace, yet we do so with confidence. Why? Because what Christ has done is enough. Because anything that would disqualify us from getting in was taken care of at the cross. This is what Jesus is going to get to in just a moment. So by grace, with confidence, we now enter in humbly and gratefully as worshipers into the very presence of God. This is really good news. This is really good news. However, it comes with a warning. In the same way that the worshipers in the Old Testament could go through all the rituals, all the sacrifices in the outer courts, and all the process to get into the holy place, and yet completely miss the presence of God, so too can we. Listen, it's not enough to just show up here on Sundays and take a seat, even if it's the same seat every week. It's not enough to give money, to throw on a volunteer shirt, to sing the songs. If that's all you do, you're like an Old Testament worshiper who almost makes it to the presence of God. Like we gather together to do more than just see one another and experience one another. We gather together to commune in the presence of God. We don't just sing songs about him, we sing songs to him. You're not just listening to my voice reading a book of history. You're hearing the words of God. He's speaking to you in conjunction with his Holy Spirit. And if you just show up on Sundays and experience everything we have to offer as a church but miss the presence of God, you've missed everything. You leave here with less hope, less transformed. Verse 29. His disciples are going to respond now. His disciples said, 
Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. We won't have time to unpack it here. We will in some of the, the future chapters. But essentially, they're almost at the place of what James would call saving faith. They're not quite there yet. They're, oh, now we're starting to get it. Starting to get you. We, now we believe that you came from God. But look at what Jesus says to them. Verse 31. Jesus answered them. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet, I'm not alone. The Father is with me. So two things I want to address here. As Jesus speaks to his disciples about this future era, he also speaks very candidly and honestly about their scattering. And this is actually an Old Testament prophecy that when the shepherd of the sheep is struck, the sheep will scatter. And in the Gospel of Matthew, this is captured here. This is what Jesus is getting at. Guys, you're going to scatter. It's not enough for me to tell you tribulation is coming, persecution is coming. It's not enough for me to tell you you're going to feel lonely. That's okay, the comforter is coming. It's not enough for me to tell you, hey, in your sorrows, God will transform those into joys. Because listen to me, you are going to scatter. Now, we, we know this is true at the cross, right? Like, it seems like John is the only disciple who, who, who lingers close enough to Jesus to capture the details of the event. His details are immaculate, but he's still at a distance. Captures, how about Peter? What does he do? He denies Jesus three times. This isn't just at the cross, though. We move into the book of Acts. The church is launched. The Holy Spirit is moving. What happens in Acts chapter 8, verse 1? Persecution strikes the church. Saul is there giving approval to Stephen's death. And what happens to the disciples? They, once again, same word, scatter. So what Jesus is doing here is saying, guys, listen. Not only is God enough, his presence enough when people hate you and when you feel lonely and when you feel sorrowful, but God's presence is enough even in your failures. Even in your scattering, the presence of God is enough. Now, I think it's really important here is what Jesus says next. He says, you guys are going to leave me alone, but I'm not alone. Why? I'm not alone because my father is not going to abandon me. Now, that's interesting because that brings up, for me, it brings up a prayer that Jesus prayed when he was on the cross. He prays an interesting prayer on the cross. It's actually an Old Testament prayer and song. I don't know if he sang it or if he just prayed it. But Jesus on the cross looks to heaven and says what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now on surface level, you would go, wait a second. I thought Jesus said his dad wasn't going to abandon him, yet on the cross he's praying this prayer. Sounds like he's abandoned. And what Jesus is doing is actually reciting an Old Testament prayer from Psalm 22 where King David, before he was king, was suffering and he felt abandoned by God and he begins his song this way, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now if we stop there for just a moment, I think each of us 
should be able to relate on some level. You've gone through something hard, and we go through something hard, especially some form of suffering. It feels like abandonment, doesn't it? Isn't that why we ask questions, where did you go, God? Where are you? Why is this happening to me? In our suffering, we feel abandoned. But in David's prayer in Psalm 22, which is what Jesus is praying, listen, that's not where he stops. After he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In verse 18, he says this, here's my prayer, God, be not far from me. For trouble is near and there is none to help, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. What is the solution for David's persecution, David's feeling of abandonment? What does he want? He wants the presence of God. He doesn't just say, God, go beat up my enemies, change my situation, make things easy. What does he say? God, I want you. Your presence is enough. Be not far off. Oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Listen to verse 22. This is David in faith, praying to God, looking forward. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. David saying, although right now feels like death, Although right now feels like I'll never make it out of this circumstances. God, I choose to believe by faith with your presence. I will live to see another day. And I'm going to look back on this moment of suffering. Look back on this season of strife. And I'm going to give testimony to my brothers. Not only am I going to give testimony. What does, he, what does he say after that? I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will what? Blame you? I will praise you. If, God, you will give to me your presence in my suffering, that will be enough to get me through. And when this season is over, I will give testimony to my brothers of your goodness, of your faithfulness, and I will sing your praises in the congregation. Your presence is enough. Which is interesting, because what's the very next psalm? Psalm 23. Listen to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your presence is enough. I know in our suffering, we want answers. Why is this happening to me? And even if we choose to believe God's doing something good out of our suffering, I want to know what it is. And David says, God, that's not my prayer. Your presence is enough. If you will but give me your presence, I know there will come a day. I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I know it's there where I will look back on this season of strife and suffering. I will give testimony to my brothers, and I will sing your praises in the congregation. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Suffering feels like abandonment. Failure feels like abandonment. There's a pattern we see in failure. You've probably experienced some version of this personally. 
If not, I know you've seen it in somebody else. When we give in to sin, we give in to failure, the last thing we want to do is be around God's people. So then we give ourselves an excuse to not show up, right? Ah, it's okay. I mean, we got a lot going on. Just one Sunday. I mean, even Jason takes off Sunday. I mean, it's just one Sunday, which turns into what? I mean, two in a row is not a big deal, which turns into the spiral of broken fellowship with God's people and broken fellowship with God himself. It's a spiral of sin. Feels lonely. Why aren't people calling me? Why don't people love me? Why aren't people asking where I'm at? Why aren't people pursuing me? We're reminded through Jesus' promise here. In the same way he says, guys, listen, I'm not going to be alone in my suffering. God's going to be with me. He's saying to the disciples, listen, guys, you're not going to be alone in your suffering either. This tribulation, this hatred, this loneliness, this sorrow you're going to experience, even in your failures, God will not abandon you the same way God is not going to abandon me. So when you see me on the cross and I look all alone, I'm not. My father is there. His rod and his staff are comforting me. And he will comfort you too. In the new era, you will no longer need somebody to mediate for you and pray on your behalf. Guess what? You get to come into the throne room of grace and confidence. The presence of God is available to you. So he ends here in verse 33. I have said these things to you, and I think what Jesus is referring to is everything that he has said in the last hour, which covers 16 and chapter 15 and maybe beyond. I have said these things to you that in me you may have what? Okay, do you want peace? This is yes, this is no. Do you want peace? Okay, it's not found in this building, not found in me, certainly not found in your spouse. It's found in one place. This is the only place you're going to find it. Where is it? In him. In me, you will have peace. In the world, you will have what? Tribulation. But take heart. Why? I have overcome the world. Now, I don't think Jesus is referring to him defying gravity and walking on water or physics and feeding the 5,000 or meteorology and calming the storm. I think what he's referring to is the oldest battle that we have faced, and that's the battle of sin and death. That's what he means when he says, I have overcome the world. I have overcome everything that disqualifies you and that keeps you out of the throne room of God. I've overcome it. I paid for your sin with my death and with my resurrection I overcame the power of sin and death that you might now have access into the holy of holies, God's presence. So when he says, in me you will have peace, in the world you have tribulation, take heart, why? Because I overcame everything that's keeping you from God. Man, that's good news. It's good news that comes with a warning. Religion is not enough. Rituals and practices are not enough. Church attendance is not enough. Listening to Christian music on your way to work and on your way home is not enough. Giving money and tithing and offerings is not enough. Standing and singing the songs with the rest of the people in this room is not enough. Those can all be good things, but if that's all you do, you might as well be an Old Testament worshiper 
in the old era almost encountering the presence of God. What Jesus is saying is, listen, my worshipers will enter into the throne room of grace with confidence and the presence of God will be enough. So I want to wrap up with just some questions for you to think about. Um, We typically do this because it's important for us to reflect. What has God spoken? And how am I going to respond to that? And so first of all, I just want you to think about your own level of trust and who God is. Have you come to the place in your relationship with God where you can like sincerely say, I trust God even when things become extremely difficult and don't make sense. Like, I trust God even when I don't get the answer to the why question. Because the flip side of that is this question, is God's presence enough, or do you feel like you need more? So have you come to that place of trusting in who God is, that his presence is enough for you? Let me ask you this. Does it give you peace and confidence to know that when you pray, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you, advocating for you, and inviting you in to speak to the Father himself. Do you see that in your mind when you pray? Or do you still feel like you're in the outer courts yelling through two curtains hoping God hears you? Or are you the person who's in the holy place and not the holy of holies, but the holy place and you're still yelling through a curtain because you're not sure what will happen if you take a step forward? And maybe today you need to hear that that curtain has been ripped in two. And you speak to God from outside the holy place. You say, hey, God, I've got some things to ask. And Jesus says what? Why don't you come in and ask him yourself? Does it bring you peace and confidence in your prayer life knowing that Jesus is your advocate and your mediator? And then last and, and certainly not least, before you leave here today, you would do well to think about some practical steps you could take this week to encounter the presence of God. Like, what steps can you take this week to encounter the presence of God? It's not a geographic location. It's not this room or your closet or your car. It can happen in those places. It's a heart issue, really. What steps can you take to encounter the presence of God on a daily basis? It's the most powerful thing that could happen in your life this week. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't know, I would love to get you connected with community group leaders or a pastor or an elder. Because the last thing I want to do is go, it's these three things. Check these three boxes. Boom, you got the presence of God. No, like it's a relationship. It's an entering in in faith on a daily basis. And so if you don't know the answer to that question, would you come grab one of us? I got to talk and pray with, with a couple after our last service. Pastors and elders would love to do that. Our prayer partners would be down at the front. They would love to talk with you and pray with you about this as well. Well, Let's pray together before our worship team comes back out. Father, we thank you for this very powerful reminder of all that Jesus has done for us. When we think about the forgiveness of sins, we have to think about our great privilege to stand in your presence having been forgiven. We think about the blood of Jesus washing over us and rendering us as righteous and holy. We have to also think about that access we have to stand in the holy of holies in your very presence. Father, we're humbled today 
of this great privilege and this access we have to pray directly to the Father. So God, now as we prepare to respond, I pray that each of us would respond to this amazing invitation, this invitation of grace to enter into your throne room with confidence. We're going to stand and we're going to sing together and we're not going to sing about you, God. We're going to sing to you. We're going to encounter your presence together. So we pray all of this according to what we just read in the Bible. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.